welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This podcast series provides a space for some fabulous people to share their stories and find a voice within our ever-changing world. It is a space that simply encourages sparky conversations, because there is most definitely always something to be learned from every interesting conversation, however unscripted. At its heart, this podcast is built on the belief that each of us experiences the world in our own unique way, meaning that we all have our own story to share. The Coffee and Conversation podcast aims to uncover a range of perhaps previously unheard stories in an informal, engaging way, so that we can all connect, explore, grow and learn from the great people behind these tales. Happy listening. Welcome to this next edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Um, today, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Roger Cliff, who um, we'll learn a little bit more about as we go through. Um, but just in brief, um, Roger um, previously has spent much of his life working in particle physics, which intrigues me to start with. Um, but actually, the main reason for us connecting is that um, Roger is a hobbyist hill runner, um, which we're going to explore as well. Um, so welcome, Roger, and thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. Okay, yes. So let's start, let's start by by um, just explaining maybe a little bit of how we met. So um, Roger is a neighbour of Nikki Fuller, who some of you may remember did a podcast uh, oh way back, one of the first ones. Um, and Roger is now um, in a bubble. Is that right with Nikki and Ross? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, and Nikki just happened to mention one day that she'd been out running um, with a neighbour. You don't introduce where we are. You say a neighbour, but you haven't oh. said whether we're in England or anywhere. Do you know what? That's extremely true. And usually I do. Usually I'm really good at doing that. Um, so let's, uh, yeah, let's introduce that. So I am, as ever, sat in my uh, house in Scotland. And actually, Roger, you can explain where you're sat at the moment. Give us an insight into where you are and whereabouts in the world you are. I am living at the moment, at this point of my life, in Shropshire, um, I was born just over the border in Staffordshire, which is, what, how 30 miles away. And <clears throat> one of the bumps, little bumps in Shropshire is called Brown Clee, well, the Clee Hills. And um, when I was young, I did a lot of cycling, and often, which often took me to Shropshire. <clears throat> and um, so the Brown Clee was really the first sort of hill, significant hill that I saw. Anyway, I came round full scale to retiring and now I'm retired, I came back to Shropshire. I've travelled a lot and I've lived in Switzerland. But um, <clears throat> that's why I'm in Shropshire now. And Nikki Fuller is one of my neighbours, a very um, friendly neighbour, very helpful neighbour. <clears throat> um, I live by myself um, in a small village in Shropshire um, with what, how many, 50 people, I don't know, something like that. Um, so that's about it. Now, do you know, I'm, and it's interesting, as you're talking there, Roger, there are so many connections. So I'm a Shropshire lass at heart. I was born in Shropshire, in Brosley, um, as was my mum. My dad is from, Shrop, uh, from Shrewsbury. Um, and then when I was younger, we lived in Staffordshire, but also we have part of the family who are living in, who, who moved over to Switzerland a long time ago and live in and around kind of Geneva, Geneva and Lausanne, I think. So immediately, suddenly we've got 
Yes. So be really interesting connections yes. in different parts of the world. Now, I'm going to ask, is it very cheeky of me to ask how old you are, Roger? Are you willing to share that? Um, I am coming up to 83. Because as we go through this podcast, I think people will realise the significance of that. 83, the beginning of January. Fantastic. So, yeah, so that is, uh, there is a reason for, I don't normally um, ask, but I, I thought that would be a good, a good place to start. Um, so, yeah, so there's our connection in terms of Nikki uh, and Ross, and you've alluded to different places that you've lived in your life. Um, and I'm assuming that perhaps it was your work that took you over to um, Switzerland. Yes. Um, and how, so how did you end up going from Staffordshire to Switzerland? And what took, what took you there in particular? Well, I was born in Wolverhampton. Um, I went to a primary school of no, <clears throat> very little significance. Um, and I managed to, um, took an exam, well, 11 plus, I suppose, and finished up at the um, grammar school in Wolverhampton. And then from there, <clears throat> I, the grammar school was very good for the arts but not particularly good for the sciences. And I was told if I had, <clears throat> if I took um, an art subject, I would have a 20% chance of going to Oxford or Cambridge. But if I took a science subject, I would have no chance. <laughs> well, I finished up, um, I, I, I finished up at Liverpool University. Um, <clears throat> so, um, which, was fortunate in one way for the way my life has turned out because it was very strong. Liverpool University is very strong in the in science, very strong in <clears throat> particle physics, and in fact they had a small um, building devoted to physics accelerators and so on and so forth. Well, MPRL, Euclid Physics Research Laboratory, and then they purchased a subsequent accelerator. Uh, later on, uh, three or three or four years later on, after I first went there, um, which I also worked on. And so I finished up doing two degrees at Liverpool. I did a second degree at Liverpool, did a PhD, same as you have. Um, and from there, which gave me some qualifications in particle physics. So then from there, I... Um, applied to, and this is what I'm not a little hazy about, I somehow joined what was then called the British Science Research Council. Now, it's subsequently gone through Science and Engineering Research Council, and goodness knows what it's called nowadays. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so I worked for a little while in, um, down in Oxfordshire, um, where they were based at Rutherford Laboratory, Chilton did got Oxon Theodress. Um, and uh, so I was based there. And with starting to do some work, I started to earn some money um, rather quickly. I, I don't remember when and how I was <clears throat> on the list of people with a mortgage. And so um, eventually purchased a house in, in Oxfordshire, um, near Wantage, which is a town very few people have heard of. Um, anyway, which in the um, 
um, what are they called? Chilterns? Yeah, it's in the Chilterns, but I was trying to think of another name. Anyway, um, so I used to go walking a little bit there, but not... Um, oh, something I haven't said, that throughout my life, I never really did any significant running early on until... <clears throat> well, one thing I did win... When we were at school, at the grammar school, I, I won the cross country, but that was my only claim to fame. Oh, your, your only glory in your school days. Yes, very, very far away. Um, and so um, I, when I went to um, Wantage to work at Rutherford Laboratory, I was um, not particularly interested in, in running, but, oh, there's another thing, this is going to be very, very <laughs> fragmented. You're going to have put, to put bits and pieces together. My basis for having very strong physique, not strong physique, but physically strong endurance is early years of cycling. <clears throat> when oh, okay. I, my parents um, also shared the house with an uncle who was not married at the time, who was a keen cyclist. And so as soon as I was old enough, I um, went cycling. And so, which was, I did a lot of cycling. What are you looking for? <laughs> this is typical, Adrian, the, uh, Adrian's bike, my husband's bike's being brought back. Um, so I've just waved at the chat to say that my husband's on his way to come and rescue his bike out of the van. <laughs> So go on, sorry, I interrupted. Okay, so I, I did a lot of cycling when I was young, and I mean a lot. I, um, I, I was only in the cyclist touring club, I didn't race, but I used to ride long distances. And many summers, many Sundays in the summer were sort of 150 mile trips. Wow. And, and so then I, I was sort of, I don't know why, but I found myself having, thinking back, I organised one or two tours that I did with other people in the club, with friends. And one, for instance, we went to Scotland and cycled all around Scotland. And then another, I organised a trip to um, the Dolomites, and Austria and the Dolomites. And so wow. we cycled over the Stelvio that they just cycled over in the Giro d'Italia uh, two or three weeks ago. So hills are featured, uh, hills, there's something about hills then that are featured in your yes. physical activity. Very much. That's why I started off mentioning the Clee Hill. Yeah. Is one of the, yes, the Clee Hill is one of the first hills that I saw. I love hills. <clears throat> so um, anyway, we went to, um, that was the first, what am I trying to say? My first trip to the to the continent of Europe was in um, <clears throat> when I organised this trip to the because um, I was still at school when we went over the Stelvio and so on and so forth. Wow. Um, anyway, um, so go back to when I started work. I went started work at the Rutherford Laboratory and the for the science. And research Council, SRC, and Science Research Council. And then <clears throat> um, I, I bought, went to live down there in that part of Oxfordshire. I um, 
And even at that point, I had not really started doing any serious running. Um, one thing I seem to have done, and I'm trying to think when, oh, it must be going back to Liverpool. Um, <clears throat> when I was at Liverpool, I did started, start doing my second term when I was doing research at Liverpool. <clears throat> I had friends who were, had a friend with a garage and I took an interest, became interested in motorsport. And so I spent about a decade of my life rallying. Well, wow. to start off with, I, I, I was navigating, but then I started driving. And so I, with the help of my friends, I prepared a car for rallying. Um, oh, in those days, it was called Ford Escort Twin Cam. And so I did the Scottish International Rally, the International Scottish Rally, uh, and we finished 17th. And then after that, I did several rallies. I did the REC Rally of Great Britain three times. Um, well, do, you know, do you know, it's really, I had, I had no idea that we'd be ending up talking about rally sport. Uh, anyway, <laughs> motorsport... Um, was just a 10-year interlude in my life, which, which is trying to say that all my life I was not spending running. I, I, that period of time, I was concentrating on preparing cars, trying to see how I could do better, what events I could do, and so on and so forth. Wow. I mean, for instance, one of the guys that going back to rallying, who was uh, Nigel Rayburn, he was the champion navigator of Britain at the time, and he phoned me and asked me if I would do the REC Rally of Great Britain with him, that sort of thing. So I was concentrating on driving. Mm. Um, anyway, that was just an interlude. That was a period of my life when I was doing that. So, so, ta so ta what, what, what you've mentioned a couple of times that you didn't do running or didn't hadn't you know running as a youngster or even as kind of a, a growing adult you know, when, when, yeah so, so when did you when did you start running then and, and what what made you start running um there aren't obvious answers to that i um <clears throat> have always been, must have had some attraction to hills uh, all, all my life um we have to fill in another chunk of my life before I can answer this question. The answer is I didn't start running seriously until I went to live in Geneva. You want to know why I was living in Geneva? Because I haven't said anything about That's it. That's right. So talk to me about that then. Give me the background into why you're in Geneva and then what it was about Geneva that got you running. Well, I can't answer the question about what started me running seriously because I have to start in Geneva. Excellent. So, um, after I joined the Science Research Council, started working on accelerators, the, the, they, the um, <clears throat> Science Research Council then decided to build another accelerator in Cheshire, which I went, where I went to work. I was, became a member of a small team a small group of people, let's say about less than 10 people, international people. And <clears throat> we um, had a very um, inspirational sort of leader head guy who was called Erwin Gabathula, an Irishman. 
And um, at one point, he suggested um, they're the building a new accelerator at Geneva, or they're developing the present one. It subsequently became the um, LHC Large Hadron Collider, but um, it was before that period. Um, and he said it would be a, we could go to work. We being his group, including me, could go to work on the <clears throat> in Geneva at CERN. And so um, I. Um, he asked me to look into using one particular facility or developing one particular facility at the accelerator <clears throat> called a muon beam, a muon beam production. And so I looked into this, decided how we can best do it at using the existing accelerator at CERN, which uh, 25 GV. And um, so I went to CERN, I presented this at CERN, my project. There was another guy from DAISY, which was the German laboratory equivalent to, to where I worked in the UK, and he presented it. They accepted my proposal, and, though, and so because of that, they invited me to go to work in CERN um, to develop this proposal. That's why I finished up at CERN in Geneva. <clears throat> so wow. that, that took me to Geneva. So then, um, Susan, as I was in Geneva, I started exploring the area. And um, I can remember one particular day, I, was, I drove somewhere and went exploring up, a, up at the course of a river. And I eventually came to <clears throat> a clearing with a house, with a building, and um, chalet, if you want to call it that. And um, a girl came out, and I subsequently knew her, and we became good friends. And she, she worked in Geneva for a bank, and she just rented this, this building um, in, at weekends and went there at weekends. So, um, this is in the French Alps, Israel, near Shaman. So we went there at weekends. Um, and that is where I started running seriously. Well, even less seriously at that point. Um, <clears throat> because of where it was, the, this chalet had, was in the hills, mountain, really big mountain, but quite a big, significant mountain. And <clears throat> I often used to, there were lots of tracks and I started running, you know, sort of five, 10 mile trips at that time and started building some kind of attraction somehow, I suppose, to running up hills. And if I found steep parts, I would also try and run up the steep parts and so on and so forth. So um, that was really the start of my serious running. I carried on going out with this girl. I, I mean, I don't remember much about her nowadays, but she spent, I spent two years with her and she even came to England with me. And we even went on holiday together to Cairo and explored all of the pyramids and the you know, tombs and temples wow. of Egypt. So that was very enjoyable, but it was her chalet in the Alps that um, 
she was called Claire Farge, and it was her lap chalet that really started me running. And I used to, there were lots of tracks around there, and I used to enjoy going out and running, and they were hilly up the mountains quite a lot. So that's what really what started me um, running quite a bit. And then um, at CERN, I also met many people, obviously, and there was a group of um, British um, physicists there. Um, there were Scots that I, I mean, there were several British people there, but the, I, I friend, befriended some Scottish people from Edinburgh University and... Um, I remember one particular, one of those in particular was called Willie Cameron. And I can't remember what I was doing in Geneva, but I can remember the time when this Willie Cameron used to say, I can't come with you on such a particular day because I'm going to go running in this particular race, which is a famous race in Switzerland called Sierre Zinal. It starts in the Valais, V-A-L-A-I-S, region of Switzerland, and it finishes up at Zinal, which is a village up in the mountain, holiday village in the mountains. And up there, it's about what? It's sort of, I'm saying it's a marathon. It, it, it wasn't billed as a marathon. It's that sort of distance, 20, 20, 20 miles or so, that sort of distance. <clears throat> so, um, and then eventually... At some point, Willie persuaded me to, to go and try and join him and try and join him and do this event, <clears throat> which I did. And I managed to get to the end. So which I, is an achievement. Goodness knows how I, how I got on, where I was, what position, etc., etc. But I did get to the end of this race. And that, I suppose, was one of the starting points. I don't remember the names of all the races I did, but um, I think it's a starting point of, of one of the major races that I did, the Ciazino. And I think it's, it's fair to say that running has become like a lifelong thing for you now. So you may not have started very early yeah. on, but it's, some, it's something now that feels like it's still a really important part of your everyday life. It's a part of my everyday life, yeah. <laughs> so talk to, so, and I know that this is how I started talking to Nikki. She said she'd been out on a run with you. So what might be, so these days around the, so it's not quite the mountains of Chamonix, but it's still the hills of um, Shropshire. What might be a typical run for you? If you were going, if you, you know, wake up tomorrow morning and decide to go run, where might you go and, and what sort of length of time might you be running for? I just run nowadays to keep fit to keep some measure of, of fitness, some measure of warding off old age, um, trying to do that as long as possible, that's all. Um, I run for pleasure because at this part in this region of Shropshire, there's not a lot to do, and particularly at this point in time, there's very little to do around here. Um, I never recovered... Um, <clears throat> cycling again after I did so much of my early life in cycling which was why I think I'm very strong at running because I had a strong basis legs are strong presumably um, <clears throat> so um, I just run as often as I can now 
How, how many days, in an average week, how many days would you go for a run? You're doing it for your, trying to do it for your benefit, but you must be aware of the fact that um, I've already told you in the way I've been talking that I've never, well, perhaps I haven't done it specifically, but I did have this interlude when I was at um, living in Geneva, perhaps 15 years, when I did do a lot of races competitively, mountain marathons, weekend after weekend after weekend. And uh, I also did trails. I mean, I, did, I ran in Switzerland and France, but um, trails, I, I think I even went down all over France. France is a hilly, hilly country. I did them way down to the south of, of, of France. And um, sort of distance marathons, distances, but lots, lots of things, events called trails. Uh, which didn't have a particular, they were a particular venue, they weren't a particular distance, and so on and so forth. And so <clears throat> that is the sort of thing I did. I enjoyed it somehow or other. I did it. I, I don't know why. I can't define now why. When you do one event, you, <clears throat> you have lots of brochures for other events. You finish up with, um, with a lot of invitations to events. And so I, um, <clears throat> so I just did a lot. So I would say I was probably running a race every weekend, you know, through the summer months and a little bit in the winter. So <clears throat> but one thing I haven't said that um, <clears throat> I did a bit of skiing when I was there as well. I had a, <clears throat> a girlfriend who was a runner who um, did ski for Switzerland who was a very, very good skier. Runners, in fact, do not do, well, that's pretty clear. Runners tend to concentrate on cross-country skiing rather than downhill skiing because it's better training. Mm, I could, yeah, I can see that. They probably do both. So in the winter months, I would do a little bit of skiing, but um, only when the ground was covered with snow, so you couldn't do, um, you couldn't run. Well, you didn't tend to run because you fall over. And so, and Switzerland is uh, is um, has a, a larger amount of snow than this country. So um, for two or three months, I um, I didn't run. But yeah, tell give it. So yeah, tell me about the run, your Monday run. What what? Where did that take you? Look. You're trying to re, you're trying to put into um, this podcast something which does not exist, which is my <clears throat> particular desire to do particular runs. That is not what I enjoy. That is not what I try to do. I enjoy go, going running perhaps twice a week, and I just try, there are one or two local hills around here. <clears throat> I always try and include a hill in the run. So, um, so on Monday, I ran over a um, <clears throat> couple of hills, Williston Hill, Karakaradak, and another hill, which is a bit up and down, a bit up and down. So it takes me about two hours. <clears throat> That's what I enjoy doing. Um, if I go back to 
think last Sunday, the Sunday before, certainly, <clears throat> I went for a run over Longmin, which is another hill in Shropshire. Um, and there I have a route which takes me up and down, up and down a bit. <clears throat> and then I ran for oh, four and a half hours, something like that. But during this, when I say I'm run, I run. A, because I'm so old, I don't run fast enough. But B, I don't stop either. So I just keep running. <clears throat> so, um, so I tend to vary between running for two hours and four hours, four and a half, probably maximum nowadays. Running non-stop, it, it, it's always up, has a lot of up in it. I don't run on the flat. No, so you're still keeping your love of hills alive in your running. Very much. And I really, I really like the fact that um, so many people nowadays, it's about the times and the watches and the putting your times and your roots on technology and, and sharing it with everybody. And I really like the fact that actually you met, when you go out for a run, you, it feels like you don't actually know where your run's going to take you. I do time my runs, how long it takes me. But because I'm running slowly, slower than if I was when I was racing, because I'm older, <clears throat> I'm just happy to do the run within a given sort of time. And if I do as well as I did, you know, two weeks ago last year, I'm happy about that. That's all. So when when you start your run, do you know where you're going to end up, or do you, or do you sort of decide as you go along? I have to park my car somewhere. <laughs> that's true I do run from home sometimes there's a we live in a region which has a few little valleys <clears throat> um, we live in the Corvdale and the little side valleys and there are some hills that you can run up and down just to keep fit <clears throat> so a couple of weeks ago I just ran up and down one of the adjacent hills here <clears throat> for what takes 15 minutes or 15 minutes down if you want and do that three times and, you know that sort of thing <clears throat> so that's from home but but other than from home you need to go you need to drive somewhere you need to travel somewhere so you have a car you have a to find parking and b to um recover and go from the car and back to the car so um that answers one of your questions. You, you, you don't know where you're going to finish up and so on and so forth. I have given routes. I've always been very strong at map reading from the years when I was navigating and rallying. Mm. I mean, more than strong. I mean, one at the time I was rallying, I also had a friend. <clears throat> Together we won the British Caravan, Caravan Road Rally, and I was navigating for him mostly. So I was one of the best navigators in the country at reading maps and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, so that's anyway. so good, a good sense of direction. So I'm, I'm curious, when you're out running for, say, four or five hours... Of course. Yeah, if you're out running for four or five hours, you know, I'm, I know when I run, I think about things or I'm watching, looking at things. What do you, how do you keep your, you know, what goes through your mind or what, do you, what are you thinking about when you're running? Um, <clears throat> several things, um, nature, always nature, what's growing here, 
birds, other things that you see when you're running, <clears throat> other wildlife. Um, what what the next bit of the road is is going to be like because you you have to anticipate what comes up ahead mm. because you um, <clears throat> the terrain whether it's very wet and slippery like it was on Monday desperately slippery now let's go through your head the scenery I think. Looking to other hills, adjacent hills. You're always looking at adjacent hills mm -hmm. because that's those those are attractive um, <clears throat> for me. Um, people, you, you you occasionally bump into people, which is not an advantage; it's a disadvantage in a way when you're running <clears throat> um, for a variety of reasons. Often you're on a, a narrow track. And so you have to, and often they have a dog with them. And sometimes it's not on a lead and it comes, comes running at you. Um, so you don't always welcome people. Um, nowadays, more and more on Longmend in particular, there are mountain bikes. Mm. And so there are those. And so occasionally when you're running, you hear a shout behind you, I... Pass you on the right or something like that. And someone comes helping pass on the mountain right. <clears throat> um, so what goes through your mind? Um, just looking at nature, I think, for me. Mm. That's all. What the route is going to be ahead. Just looking at, at the nature around me and looking at um, <clears throat> the scenery. Those factors really, and it just—I'm just thinking. I've just there's a picture that you can't see on my wall, um, but it's by a Shropshire artist, and it's a, a picture of the Shropshire Hills. So I was just thinking as you were talking, then you were talking about the beauty of the Shropshire Hills. I've got yeah, I've got a, a picture, an, an artist, a picture on the painting on the wall of the Shropshire Hills. So I can definitely, yeah, definitely picture the beauty of, of what's going on around you, and oh I, 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 and I think. I know Nikki came for a run with you a little while ago, um, and she did say she couldn't keep up with you in certain bits. Um, but, but most, so do you run mostly on your, I'm assuming you run mostly on your own and, and are out there. Always on my own. Always on my own. And do you enjoy, yeah, how, how, do you enjoy that peace and quiet? After I, just after I retired, which uh -huh. I did, in, which happened when I was 65, when I was still in Geneva. Um, one of my um, plans was to, uh, when I retired, I wanted to go to Australia. So, um, <clears throat> where I had already been by this time and really already knew someone there. So I went to Australia, I bought, bought a camper van and I drove around Australia in it for two years, all through the outback as much as I could. And I, I knew how to navigate, I knew where I was. The kangaroos used to come and sleep under the baby kangaroos. Oh. Now, of course, you'd hear them moving around. But anyway, um, but I used to go running then when I was in Australia in the middle of nowhere. And I often get accused of what happens if you go out running by yourself and you, <clears throat> you don't take your phone with me and, and something happens. You know, that applied in Australia, because um, <laughs> I would certainly have died if, if anything had happened there, because I was in the middle of nowhere. So of all the places, it feels like you've run in a lot of different places in the world. Where 
you know, if you look back over all the places you've run, where would be your favourite, not necessarily a race or a, you know, a specific route, but, you know, where's the, fa- where's the, where's the best place that you, you love to run or you have over the years? That's the wrong question. What, <laughs> go on, what's the right question then? I'm, you're make sorry, you're in, implying to me that I'm more, in, more competitive than I am. <clears throat> when I was fit and able to run in competitive races, I already I always wanted to do another, this race or that race. I don't remember all the names now of the events I did, but I enjoyed one more than another, often in different places, different regions of Switzerland or regions of France, or you know, partly exploring different regions, but and partly for the terrain, the type of, of race that was there. It was never how many people I could, could beat, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was always because I enjoyed running. But um, so nowadays I just enjoy going running. The fact that I am running, try to run. And I don't <clears throat> always run fast enough nowadays. So I sometimes go more slowly so that I can go further and so on and so forth. So um, those are more what I'm interested in. I'm interested in being able to do it, being able to run, but not at a competitive um, speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, competitive for what, um, <clears throat> for what sort of events, but I, I just run, enjoy running <clears throat> over the hills, that's all. And just to try and keep some measure of fitness, that's all. Well, I definitely, yeah, I, I have to confess, I haven't been, I did used to do quite a little bit of running and I haven't been running for about six months and went for my first run on Sunday afternoon in the forest, tipping it down with rain. But I have to say, I just, just that half an hour outside and at the end, it was a little out and back run. And I, as I, as I got to the turning point, I just stood there in the rain and sort of looked upwards and just, you know, it was, there's something about feeling alive out in, outside and the, with the fresh air forecast and if it's going to rain i organize going running on on the neighboring day that, that's why so i don't tend to go running in the rain <clears throat> well one of the reasons is obviously because it is very slippery um like it is if you're running on the flat it doesn't matter what no. you're doing but if you're running in the hills it does matter mm. so if you're not running on tarmac you're running off-road. I would say, like Monday was, it was desperate going up, going down in particular, and, and up, you, you're slipping. So, yes, so I don't tend to run, well, the grounds, in winter, the ground's always wet, and um, <clears throat> over Longmin in particular, um, there are large pools of water everywhere, so you're always having to run on one side of the track and through a stream. You must always um, be prepared to have your feet wet all the time yeah I think that's a big yeah and certainly living up in Scotland there's no such thing as dry feet on a run anywhere <laughs> even Gore-Tex line shoes are, are, are you know not worth it up here yeah so I'm just so I'm conscious of, of, of time and um and and you know I've I've been I think it's fascinating your journey you know we you started before we recorded you were saying you're not sure you know what story you'd got to tell or what and you know you for me there's so much in your story and your life that you've talked about I in terms of your bird quest. I haven't mentioned bird quest 
Oh, what's bird? I was I was just going to say, is there anything that you would like to tell me, seeing as I've I've asked the wrong questions a few times? So maybe bird quest is what we need to you need to give us an insight into to finish. Called a company, British company called Bird Quest, and I've travelled with them a lot. I've travelled with them, <clears throat> I think, forty two times, and 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 these travels mean worldwide. So. I just, I just have a list here of all the, some of the places that, which is boring, so I won't read them all out. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's everything from all over South America, the Arctic, the Antarctic, everywhere I've been with them and, and sailed in ships up and down the Atlantic. I've, I've traveled with them everywhere, Indonesia, obviously the Amazon, all these sort of places. And so you need some measure of fitness for that, but not excessive amount, but I've not, that house, um, I used to, I've been fortunate in my life. That's one thing I haven't said, but it, it um, was a, is apparent that I've had enough money to do this. To run, you don't need money, <clears throat> but um, I needed money to be in the places where I have run. Uh, not a huge amount of run of money, but um, <clears throat> to be able to be to run in the Alps and, and go to from event to event, that required some money. But in order to travel as much as I have traveled with BirdQuest, <clears throat> that required money. And I uh, used to travel oh twice a year with BirdQuest on holidays to the other side of the world. So I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of traveling. So I've been very fortunate. So my life has provided me, being a scientist, um, being a physicist, a particle physicist, in the way, the way it's taken me anyway, I have, particularly going to Switzerland, I suppose, I have had enough money. It's financed me to be able to do what I've done. Mm. Uh, so... Um, to go with BirdQuest and travel all over the world. That's enabled me to see mountains from the Andes to the Himalayas to, to everywhere. I mean, I've been to Tibet, I've been to various places. I've, one thing which is very, very surprising, I'm not that interested in birds. <laughs> I was just... I was just going to ask you, so I'm assuming BirdQuest is about going birdwatching in, in fairly yeah. unique places. It, um, it leads to other things. BirdQuest uh, leads me, A, to travelling everywhere around the world, B, to itineraries which are fantastically interesting, and <clears throat> C, photography. I do a lot of photography. I have done a lot of photography, the big lens and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so I enjoy photographing creatures, well, birds are amongst them, obviously, but animals and um, <clears throat> just doing photography. So BirdQuest enabled me to do all of that. Yes, I do. I have at some point in my life, I guess I was more, more interested in birds and knew more about birds than I do nowadays, having forgotten a lot, um, I um, <clears throat> I do have photographs of birds around the house, 
And if I go down into one of the bottom rooms in my house, the bookcases, large bookcases are jammed full of books on birds from all over the world, birds of Africa, birds of this, birds of that, and different countries in Australia, etc. where I've been. So, yes, I have, I have all of that. <clears throat> so I must have been vaguely interested in birds. But it was trying to see these different birds, because when I went to Australia, I wanted to try and see how many birds I could see in Australia. I think I saw them all except six species. <clears throat> and I, but I want one thing I really wanted to do was photograph, you know, the unusual mammals like duckbill platypus. It took me a long time to find that. There is a specific place that I've subsequently heard where you can see them, but I, I didn't know. I just travelled all over Australia until I found one, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I enjoy photography a lot. So. Um, and I, th I know I like I really like that. It feels like it's almost, it, you know, what I'm getting sensing is it's about the journey, not necessarily the. So the times I've sort of tried, you know, maybe tried to quantify something in this conversation, yeah. but actually it's not about that end point. It's about the, the the bits that happen to get there, or the bits that happen because of that that actually are more valuable and more important than the actual thing itself. Maybe that's something in there. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well thank I you. I think that that you know I've really enjoyed. Um, talking with you and yeah actually i i'm looking forward to actually being able to maybe come and visit nikki at some point and meet in person um and we can yes. carry we can carry on the conversation there um but for now roger thank you for taking your time to to record this and i'm i have no doubt that people are going to listen listen to this and be fascinated by your experiences and your your story so thank you very much you've been listening to the coffee and conversation podcast the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen my thanks again to my guest, the fabulous Dr. Roger Cliff, and to you for listening. Until the next time, take care.